0: please visit our website at concordunited.org.
1: It's wonderful to be able to share with you on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning. As we begin our time together, uh, we celebrate that through Easter, we have a guarantee that God has a plan and there is a place for us in it and that nothing in this world can thwart God's plan. Uh, We also in the church like planning, and as you've heard us say several times today, uh, we encourage you to use the connection cards you've been given or online to share with us, particularly what you'd like to hear about on a Sunday morning. We have a tradition here that in the late spring, uh, the pastors, we gather together and we spend time in prayer and we try to discern uh, for the coming, for the next fall through the next summer, uh, what it is that God's leading us to speak about, to share about in worship. We did that last year and we believed God was leading us as a congregation to journey through the entire Bible in a year. And so we began that in... August and we're completing it in May. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, you can join us at Gr- the Gr- with the Grow Through the Bible Reading Plan at ConcordUnited.org/Bible. Even if you haven't done that at all before, uh, if you've never read the Bible before, I'd encourage you go to that website and try it for a week. Just say I'm, I'm going to do this for seven days, and then I think you're going to be very much surprised about the difference that will make. Now, t- talking about making a difference, today we come to a passage of Scripture, and we, we celebrate the most influential moment in history. That when, when you read world history books, uh, they, they largely tell the story of kings and queens and kingdoms and armies and economies and political philosophies. But if you really look at where the hinge of history shifts, it happens around the year 33 AD and it happens in Israel. Even from a secular perspective, uh, there's no moment in history uh, where the course of history so clearly takes a turn as right here and so unexplainably takes a turn. You see, Jesus' resurrection is the turning point of history. It, It changes everything about the directions of political movements, changes everything about personal beliefs, and it's also the turning point for each of our stories. You see, we all come to this story and we have to wrestle with its implications. Uh, We are told something in the resurrection that seems to us to be scientifically impossible, and yet we also are told something uh, that looks to be historically probable, And in our lives, when we have to decide what to base our lives on, we come to this story and we can decide that it is a naive belief by pre-scientific people uh, propagated uh, by early followers of Jesus and turned into propaganda, or we can decide that it is true. Uh, We can decide to base our lives purely on a set of beliefs and principles. And there are many good beliefs and principles. Uh, Every other religion in the world will teach you that you should base your life purely on beliefs and principles. And here in Christianity, we have plenty of beliefs and principles. Uh, Beliefs about Jesus, principles gained from his teachings. But we won't tell you that that's enough to base your life on. We believe it's a person, a person who's still present with us, And so the turning point in all our stories is will we base our lives on principles, some of which are good, some of which may not be so good, or a person? And if a person, then what person is it that is truly worthy to base our entire lives upon? Well, there was one that we're told was perfect. There was one that we're we're told loved so deeply that he would sacrifice all he had and allow his body to be beaten There was one we were told that loved so much with such power that he would come back from the dead. And so today, as we celebrate the turning point of history, we are challenged with allowing it to also be the turning point for our lives. Now, it was a turning point for the first people who were there, for the women who came to the tomb, and then for the male disciples who followed them. Uh, Hear the story from Luke's Gospel, the 24th chapter. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. His Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But the apostles did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. They couldn't make sense of it. It seemed to them at first like nonsense, and we find that for ourselves. The resurrection of Jesus is either nonsense or it's the one thing that makes life make sense. This resurrection that's so hard to comprehend the women didn't expect a resurrection at the tomb they came and it said they brought spices now in those days not every dead body was anointed with spices usually the bodies that were anointed with spices were people who were very rich or very powerful very well known These spices were extremely expensive. This wasn't something that was done for everyone. But at great personal cost, these women had spent money on spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. He who had been humiliated, they wanted, before he was ultimately buried, to honor. And yet we see in their very action of purchasing spices, their disbelief that he would come back from the dead. Uh, That, as he told them, that he could could do that. We also see it in the lives of the male disciples who come to the tomb later after hearing from the women. They, they'd they been in hiding. They were more fearful of their lives being in danger. And this is, this is somewhat justified in cultures like this and still in many cultures throughout the world uh, in situations uh, where it is dangerous. Uh, it is safer uh, for women in some circumstances uh, to be Be present in public than men. Uh, For instance, you might have seen uh, a clip uh, on the the news recently about some grandmothers in Ukraine. And when the Russian soldiers came into their town, these grandmothers didn't worry as much about getting shot because uh, turning a gun on a grandmother is very poor PR. And so they marched out into the street and they confronted the soldiers as they came in and I would tell you what they told them, except it would make a sailor blush. Uh, so if you decide to Google it, be careful that your children aren't around when, when you do. And we see this in, in several cultures throughout the world. Yet if a young man had come into the streets, it might have been a very different scenario. Well, the male disciples were very worried that their lives could be taken, that they could could be arrested, And, and this does not forgive their unbelief or their cowardice when they deserted Jesus, but it helps us understand the situation that they were facing. And so they come, and the women tell them this good news, and it seems to them like nonsense. It seems like it couldn't possibly be true, and yet we see it from a different perspective because we see that these women who came to anoint a dead body and these men who were so scared that they wouldn't leave the house with a locked door we see that they go forth and without a great deal of money or political or religious influence to their names at the time they changed the the world and they changed the course of history And this message of Jesus and this message of love beyond the boundaries of ethnicity and tribalism goes throughout the entire world and changes the world such that many of the gifts that Christianity has given to us, we don't even recognize anymore because we take them for granted because the work and the power and the presence of Jesus has been in our world for 2,000 years. But it's very hard to, to imagine outside of Christianity uh, a movement uh, that would encourage people of different ethnicities and tribes and nations and races and socioeconomic conditions to worship together. And yet today, in the name of Jesus, in rich neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods, on every continent, in every, and even in those countries where it is illegal, people gather today to worship Christ and his name And we wonder how this could be the case if these people, uh, these sorrowful women who've come to mourn and these scared men, if they didn't go out and change the world, if they didn't at great expense and at great cost speak the truth that they'd seen. And one person who sees this and recognizes uh, that we can not explain the story of history or our stories, well, without the resurrection of Jesus, was Chuck Colson. Some of you have heard of, of Chuck Colson. He was a lawyer in the Nixon administration who ultimately went to jail for his role in Watergate. And after being in jail, he began Prison Fellowship, one of the most influential prison ministries in, in our country, and became a Christian leader for the rest of his life. He had this to say about the resurrection. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they preached that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. To him, the resurrection was what made life make sense. And if we would have it make sense for us today, then it has something to say to us. If Jesus is alive, then the resurrection is not nonsense, but hopelessness is. If there is nonsense in our world, it is hopelessness in a world where we have a risen Savior. I remember a time ago when in our family we were going through a difficult season. And it was one of those times we all have hats that we wear, right? And we have some hats that are very important hats and we have some hats that are lesser hats. Well, the three most important hats I wear in my life are husband, father, and pastor. And we were in this season where I didn't feel like I could do any of those things the way it needed to be done. Uh, I I remember once with all that was going on and it, it was just an overwhelming time and you might have been through times like that where no matter how hard you try you just can't seem to do what what needs to be done or provide for others the, the way you want to provide for them. And, and we'd, get, we'd be on social media and I'd see pictures of my friends and they'd be out at a really nice dinner with their spouse. And I, I'd look at my wife and I'd be like, they're at a nice dinner. We're just trying to be nice to each other, right? Because this season of life is so overwhelming and we, we have so little margin right now. And, the, and if you get there, you need to know those are seasons, but, and seasons change. But in that season, uh, with all that was going on, uh, I found my prayer life suffering. Now, I was still opening my Bible each day, and I was still folding my hands together and closing my eyes, but it seemed so hard to concentrate when I did, and I didn't seem like I was hearing much on the other side. And often I'd spend much less time than usual in prayer because it just seemed so hard to do. And I began to feel like a fraud. I began to say, Lord, this is what I've based my life on and I'm struggling to figure out how I can even live uh, by the ways of your son. And then I heard this voice, this unmistakable voice that simply said, that's okay, I'm still here. I haven't gone anywhere. It never was about you. It never was about how good you could be, how well you could wear those hats that you have. It it never was about how hard you could squint your eyes and squeeze your hands when you pray. It's always about me. Always about him being there for us. That's what Easter says. It says I'm here. And somehow when I heard that message, I'm here, it, it allowed me to look at things in a different light and it allowed me to to find joy even when I couldn't do everything I I wish I could do in the moment even when I couldn't make life go exactly the way I wish it could have gone in in the moment it gave me strength and power to, to go on that's what the life of Jesus says right that's what Christmas says Christmas is God saying I'm still here I'm in fact I'm right here And Easter is God saying, I'm here and I'll never go anywhere. And no matter how hard you push me away, you can't make me because I'm here beside you. And I'll go to any length to let you know that. And I will love you through whatever you go through. A few years back, I had the blessing of journeying to South Africa. And while there, I had the chance to go and see some of the ministries of the Methodist Church in South Africa. One of the places they took us to, was outside of Cape Town, South Africa, and it was a little shanty town where the poorest of the poor lived. And many of the people who lived there were orphans. These children had generally lost their parents to the AIDS pandemic, and then they were being watched after, in some cases by grandparents, in some cases by aunts and uncles. In some cases, you had 12 kids living in one little tin shack that was just a piece of tin uh, with some sticks propping it up, and they were simply being taken care of a neighbor uh, who just couldn't say no to a child in need. And they said, we want to show you the school. And so we went to the school, and it was a tree. Uh, we, uh, we get frustrated with our schools because they have portable buildings, They had a tree, and that was the school, and the tree was the school because you needed shade if you were going to sit out and listen all day, and they came to school, and they had their chalkboards because you couldn't afford paper, but a chalkboard you could work on it and then erase, and we met the teacher, and the teacher had been well-educated, and she was connected with the church, and as we talked to the teacher about what she did and how she tried to help the children, we said, where do you live? And she said, right down there. And we said, why why do you live down there? You have an education. You you have an opportunity. You you have ways you can earn money. Why do you live in a shack? It's because I want the kids to know I'm here. Uh, They've been left by most other people. I want them to know I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. That's what the resurrection tells us about Jesus. He's here and he's not going anywhere. I Remember one of the more difficult moments that I've experienced was standing over the grave of a five-year-old wondering what what do you say in this moment what can be said can there can there be good when you're in a place like this and I remember praying and I remember saying God I, I can read every book there is on funerals and on grief But I can't figure out anything to say in a moment like this. And once again, I simply heard a little voice. Tell them I'm here. Tell them I'm here. Tell them I'm still here. That's what the resurrection says to us. It says that God's still here, still here. It says that hopelessness is nonsense. It says that if we get to that point in life where we don't want to get out of bed in the morning, that's not the full story that God's still here. It says that if we lose what we thought could never be lost in a way we never imagined, it says God's still here and God's still good and life can be too. It says that if we turn from God and we act in a way uh, that we never thought we would and we violate our own principles, God's still here. It says that if life does to us what we thought would never be done, what we thought only happened to other people, it says God's still here. And it says life's still good. It says hopelessness is nonsense. And not just that, not only if the resurrection is true is hopelessness nonsense, but if the resurrection is true, if Jesus is alive, then love makes the most sense. Then love is what really changes things. Think about What changes things for you in your life? Think about what's really made the difference. Think about the people who would flash before your eyes if you were in your last moments. I imagine they have something in common. I imagine they were people who believed in you, perhaps when you didn't believe in yourself. I imagine they were people who were loyal to you and forgave you, Perhaps when you weren't sure if you'd extend it to yourself in their situation, I imagine they were people who stuck by you in the good times and in the bad, who didn't run away when you were suffering, uh, who celebrated with you when you were winning. I imagine they were people who loved you. And the history books don't often write this story, but it's what makes the world go round. At least it's what we as Christians believe makes the world go round. We believe the world was created out of love. We believe the world was created because God in God's essence is love and that love demanded to be shared and that love demanded uh, that creatures capable of love be created. We believe it was that love that led Jesus to the cross because that love had to have its fullest expression and its fullest expression was giving its life We believe uh, that love raised Jesus from the dead because that love demanded that its great power be shown and in the resurrection we see that power, uh, that power on earth that will be forever in God's kingdom. And we see that power not only in the words of this book, but we see that power in the lives of all who follow Jesus. In fact, what makes his resurrection the most believable. Why I believe God sent Jesus to us at a time before there were video cameras that could document all this is the lives of his followers. That's how God designed it. That's how God planned it. That his resurrection, the greatest proof of it, would be the lives, those lives that became changed by it. That's the case for us today. I pray that we might live in such a way that we might live with such hope in the midst of hopelessness, that we might live with such love in the good days and in the difficult ones, that those who come after us would be hard-pressed to explain our lives if long ago a man named Jesus Christ hadn't been raised from the dead. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we thank you for giving us your Son for his sacrifice on our behalf, for his resurrection in glory. We thank you that we can trust that no matter what comes, you are here. You are with us. We give you thanks, Lord, that we can trust that death has indeed lost its sting, that each time we gather beside a grave, we only say so long, we do not say goodbye. Oh God, we come before you today. And we thank you for your love, which is from everlasting to everlasting, through which the sun and moons and stars and planets were created, through which you breathed into us the breath of life. Oh God, we pray that you would allow us to live with such love that somehow in our lives others might see the truth of the resurrection of your Son and find in him
0: the way of eternal life amen thank you for listening to this sermon from concord united methodist church this podcast is a ministry of concord united and we would love to hear from you to contact us please send an email to podcasts at ConcordUnited.org with sermons in the subject line for more information about concord united including worship times service opportunities mission efforts and classes